And then questions like, if God is good, then why is there so much evil and so much suffering in the world? And so we know that people have these questions. We know they're hard questions and that y'all are looking for answers. And so it's our conviction at Chi Alpha that we take the time to talk about those things and let you guys ask questions. And so we're really excited that this is happening and that y'all are here. And so um, what's going to happen is Christopher is going to be speaking tonight. And um, his topic will be suffering. And so that'll be the first portion for tonight. And then the second portion will be a Q&A where you guys have time to ask questions. And so what we would love for you guys to do is to, um, while he is speaking, if you have any questions that come to your mind concerning um, suffering, please write them down so when the Q&A starts, then we, we can go ahead and get rolling. You can start asking your questions, okay? So will you welcome Christopher Mancius? Hello, hello. Hey. Hello, guys. Hello. Thank you, Heather. That was amazing. Uh, so I get to work with this cool space like Mission Impossible, Ethan Hunt kind of headset right here where you like lowers down and Mission Impossible 1, anybody? No one saw it? Okay, some people. That was like way long ago. But uh, yeah, anyway, so like Heather said, my name's Christopher. Uh, a little bit about me. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Went to same Houston State University with the rest of our staff where I studied communications to, uh, studies like Heather did best major ever. Minored in kinesiology. I wanted to coach soccer and teach speech. Obviously some things changed. Now I'm here. Um, still love playing soccer. Obviously other things I like doing is um, traveling. I've been to quite a few places a lot with our staff over the past few years. It's been super cool uh, to see some of the United States. Also I love hanging out with my family. They are amazing. Here is some pictures. Hey! So this is, I'm an uncle, and it's been awesome for the past few years to be an uncle to this girl over here, Miss Zoe Borm Goody. That's us pausing for a selfie, her looking all cool, out actually at the rec fields when we were playing soccer, and uh, she's going to be three in December. That's crazy. She's at, like super, she's like super, super smart, great personality, and uh, if you ask her how old she'll be, she will tell you or how old she is, she will tell you. She'll be at 3 in December. So if you see her, ask her. She will tell you. Um, top right is Naomi Grace Goody. That picture was taken this morning before I shaved that terrible wannabe beard um, that you can barely see in there, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, she will be three weeks old Friday at 4 a.m. And so she's she's been cool to have. My mom and dad are actually up here this week, and uh, they're helping Katie and Jordan take care of her, which if you didn't know, Katie and Jordan is my sister and brother-in-law. So if you don't know who they are, then that doesn't mean anything to you. But anyways, uh, <laughs> that's their two daughters. And then bottom right is my brother. I have a younger brother, Stephen. He is 25 years old. And that's his wife, Ashley. They went to Texas A&M, and they live in Houston now, so I don't get to see them much. And then that's their monster of a boy, Judah Luke. He is huge. That picture was taken like a, a month ago, and he's going to be five months old in like three days. He is so big. But my brother, he was, well, he shot up in high school, but he used to be uh, quite bigger. Um, but anyways, I don't get to see them much. I wish I did. They're awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, just a little bit about me. So tonight we're talking about suffering. Our question for tonight, it doesn't seem like it would be too fun, right, to talk about suffering. But we're going to have some fun tonight. Hopefully you guys can have some fun with me. Adam's like, wait, you can't have fun when you're talking about suffering. Well, it's my belief that this whole thing called life ends well, depending on what you believe and who you put your trust in. And so 
if there's any hope, joy, fun that we have tonight, at least on my end, that's where it comes from. So to start off, we're going to do a little activity. And before we do it, I just want to let you know there's just one thing we're doing. It is, I'm going to put a word up there, and you guys just yell out what you think. You confused some of you? Okay, we're, hey, we're in a classroom, so we might as well do an activity. So this is the first one. T, mine, polo, tanks. Okay, yeah, so obviously different ideas. My first thought when I was preparing this was a flannel. That day was a little cooler than today, right? It's the fall, so flannel. It's like, you know, 80 degrees today, so, you know, wouldn't really wear it. I'm still wearing long sleeves, though, so I don't know how that happened. But, um, yeah, so uh, guys might think of, like, T-shirts. Girls might think of what? Like a spaghetti strap under a sweater, something that you'd wear in the fall, or I, I don't know. I'm not a girl, so I don't know what girls think. So that's you guys. If it was in the summer, I might think of, like, you know, my favorite T-shirt or something like no shirt at all because it's the summer and who needs a shirt in the summer you know it's suns out guns out um but uh anyways so basically different words bring different ideas to different people depending on their circumstances right so that's kind of like what we gained from this let's do some more okay a lot of max pc okay see i knew there'd be some trash talk on this one, there's definitely a PC and a Mac camp, and, you know, it's like real strong feelings against each other. This is not my laptop. This is Sean's. He's amazing. He's letting me use it. <laughs> Macs are awesome. I want to get one. So, PC guys, I'm converting hopefully soon to the Mac religion. Um, but anyways, we can go to the next one. <laughs> someone said home. Up here, someone said Washington, you know. Damani said something I couldn't hear. <laughs> home alone. alone. Home alone, right, okay. Some people, you might have thought of the house you grew up in. Some people might think of, like, what, your grandma's house because you spent a lot of time there. So it's like, it's homey, has taters. Alex's grandma's house has taters, so go there if you're hungry for potatoes. Um, but some people might think of a map if their home's, like, far away. Uh, we can go to the next one. Puppy German Shepherd. Guys. I heard there was a puppy petting party at Lion Tower. Yeah, Sarah says there was a puppy petting party. That was sounds amazing. Confession, I am apathetic towards dogs. Uh, yes, I see. I'm not a I'm not a dog hater. I just don't love them. So I I know. Yes, I knew I would make some en enemies saying that. But there is an in between between I hate dogs and I love dogs, and that's where I am. Who else is there? Taylor, thank you. Hey, one person, everyone else of you who is actually there is scared to make enemies by raising your hand. But there is somewhere in between. Yes? Oh, I care about the cats less. Way <laughs> less. They are, they are down there. <laughs> thank you for asking. I meant to mention that and I forgot. But uh, we can go to the next one. Ooh. Oh, hey, sorry. Go, go to the next one. I, go, that, I, ooh. <laughs> Shame on you guys. I know your first thought. Shame on all of you. All right. We can keep going. I figured that would, yeah, kind of change the feel of the room a little bit. We can. 
Dang. <laughs> okay. So, all those words, 9-11, Holocaust, rape, murder, Charlottesville, these things are some serious issues, right? Who's had this question before? Raise your hand. Why is there, why would a good God allow so much evil and suffering in this world? I figured most people would raise their hands because if you didn't, then you probably wouldn't be here. Um, I've, quite, I've had this question before. My guess is that everyone in history has had this question before. Why? Because this question, suffering and evil, it usually causes pain. And pain is personal. And because we're people and we're personal, we experience pain. And so this question is huge. I'm guessing most people, yeah, in all of society who have ever lived have asked this question. And so some people here tonight, you might actually be experiencing or in the middle or have just come out of or going into some really emotional pain. Maybe your parents got divorced recently or are fighting or got divorced a long time ago. You never healed. Maybe, um, you know, hopefully no one in here has lost everything from a natural disaster like some of the families down in, you know, the Caribbean and the southern U.S., right? Some people, just because what someone else wants isn't what you want, make a decision. And because we have freedom to choose, those decisions really hurt us, right? Family member, friend, they say something super hurtful to us. And that, yeah, those things are real. And, and so if that's you tonight, I want you to know that, like, this isn't going to be, my hope isn't that this is some logical three-step quick fix to your pain. That's not my hope tonight because that's not how it works. And that's uh, not how we're going to treat it tonight. And so basically for all of time it seems like people have suffered and it seems like an unavoidable part of our lives, right? And so it seems like it always has been and always will be. So we're going to look at it tonight. My, uh, my hope for tonight um, is to answer some of these questions, but I want to give you guys a few expectations about what we're going to talk about um, as we move on. First, like Sean said, I did not go to school for this stuff. I did not major in suffering. That would have been miserable. There is philosophy of death and dying. Everyone who I've ever heard has taken that class says it's the worst class they've ever taken in their whole life. It's like worse than, you know, OCHEM and all that other stuff. It's like literally makes you depressed. So I didn't go to school for anything like that. Uh, I researched, I put a lot of time and prayer and preparation into all of this stuff, but I'm no expert. Most of what I say tonight was actually gotten from people who talk about this kind of stuff for a living. Ravi Zacharias, Vince Vitale, I think that's how you say it. He's Italian, so whatever it sounds like in Italian. Um, but uh, yeah, other guys like him, C.S. Lewis. And so this is a very introductory approach to this question. It'll take about 35 minutes. And then you guys will have an opportunity to ask some questions. And so I guarantee I will not answer all of your questions tonight. It's okay to have some of your questions unanswered. If you keep asking, then that's what's most important. So with that being said, um, if you guys do have any of those questions, like some of the things on, on, on the screen we mentioned a couple seconds ago, um, that was like exactly what I just said, so couple minutes ago, not seconds. Um, but uh, if you had some questions like cancer, about cancer, diseases, hurricanes, natural disasters, feel free to answer those. I'll do my best 
to try and answer them um, with what I know and what I believe. And so I don't feel afraid to answer those questions. But um, we'll go ahead and get to our question. And in order for uh, this question to exist, we have to admit one thing, right? That evil actually exists. Seems pretty obvious. Most people from the age of four would probably say that evil is a real thing, right? But what most people don't think about is that in order for evil, a real ugly, nasty, hurtful evil to exist, that means that a real, loving, good, good has to exist, right, for it to be in contrast to, right? So in order for evil to have meaning, it has to have a good to be in opposition to, right? That it's completely opposite from. Well... Where do we get our ideas for what good is? What determines the standard of what is good? What comes to mind when we think about good? What, what things are good? That's the question. And so in order to answer this question or even think about this question of why a good God would allow evil and suffering, we have to have a definition for what's good, right? So if I asked you guys in here what good is, I'd probably get 20 different answers, and I'm sure they'd all be good, and they'd probably have to do something with what your mom told you growing up, what you learned in the school, a Bible verse, something you heard on a movie or TV or, you know, whatever else, right? And um, I'm sure they could be very, you know, e close or maybe even an exact definition of what good would be, right? Well... We're just going to focus on two different ways that people usually define what's good and what's evil. The first one is by feeling. How I feel. What do I feel is good? Common sense, logic, reason, what seems to be good. That's what seems to be evil. That's how people usually determine, or that's one common way people use to determine uh, what's good and what's evil. This is called subjective morality. Subjective morality is uh, moral claims that have no truth value. It says good and evil are relative values. So that's basically um, pretty common for today, right? I do what I want to whoever I want, and I get away with it, and you can't tell me I'm wrong because that's how the world works, right? So what I believe to be evil or good today might be world's different, from what people a thousand years ago believed to be good and evil, right? Because they might have felt entirely different from how I feel today, okay? Um, or the person down the street <laughs> might feel completely different from how I feel about good and evil. Or I might feel like it's a bad thing to murder someone right now, but could hop in my car in an hour and go run somebody over, and that'd be perfectly fine if I felt like it. Sounds pretty crazy, right? Sounds super extreme, and hopefully no one would ever do that, but I'm sure it's happened. And, uh, and that's what we have to consider as being the possibilities within this subjective morality, being how we determine good and evil. So the attitude um, of today is what I think is this. I do what I want because YOLO, and you better show tolerance or you're wrong. But I'm not being intolerant or hypocritical. Pretty ridiculous, but does this sound familiar? This is like, this is most people's attitude today. All put like this. No one says this in word, in like words. Like this is my, this is my subjective morality on good and evil. It's this right here. No one says that. <laughs> but this is like how it plays out in our lives. So 
if subjective morality is how we're going to determine good and evil. Let's say we go with that. So whose feelings are we going to go off of? Whose ideas? Do we look to like an influential leader like Mother Teresa? She was cool, right? She, she housed um, orphans and lepers and dying people in, in Calcutta, India, you know, mid-19th century, eight, 20th century, 1900s. Right, Jordan? Yeah. I think, yeah. Charles, thanks. Thanks, Jordan, Charles. Um, yeah, and uh, she housed them. She took care of them. She devoted her entire life as her, her call by who she believed was God to house these people and take care of them, even if it just meant that they were going to die there. Influential leader. Another influential leader, Adolf Hitler. What a stand-up guy, right? What did he feel like was good? He killed those same group of people, six million plus of them and others, right? Two influential people, two great leaders, two totally different ideas of what's good and what's evil, right? What about entire societies? Some societies, you know, really good ones, they say, hey, it's good to love your neighbor. Help them out. Good Samaritans, storing the Bible, you know, we need to help people when we see them suffering. Other societies say, we feel like eating our neighbors. <coughs> Cannibals, yes, people actually eat people, but they think it's, they think it's good, right? So entire societies, maybe not the best place to go. What about religion? Seems to be pretty morally based. There's God in the picture and, you know, everything. And um, they seem to be like a pretty good place to go. Some religions promote peace and life in their homes and in their society and across the world. And they even go to the ends of the earth to do that, earth to do that through peaceful method, methods. Other religions, to create peace, they kill people who disagree with them. They <laughs> sacrifice children so they can have more crops, fertility gods. Right? We don't hear about a lot of these things because we live in the West. And it's um, very foreign to us. So the question is, are we willing to consider Hitler innocent? because he did what he felt like, or cannibals normal because they're doing what they feel like, or are we, like Good was saying, that ISIS is completely off the hook because they're doing what they feel it promotes peace, and, you know, it's okay to kill your baby to a fertility god for some extra corn. This is what we're looking at. This is what happens when objective, when subjective morality is what we use to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil, what do I feel like doing? If there's no constant standard, then these are the things we have to consider. So, I don't think that's the best way. The best way, I think, is something called objective morality. This is moral claims. This says that moral claims have universal value. Moral law is rooted in universal truth. This basically is possible when you have a predetermined, unchanging moral standard which is consistent up among all time, location, and situations which is only possible to be made by an all-good someone or something who is also unchanging 
and consistent across all time, location, and age. Right? We call this moral law, which means there has to be a moral law giver. Right? Only if objective morality is how good and evil is determined are we able to even ask this question of can a good God allow evil and suffering? Because it is only by objective morality, like we saw with our subjective morality, that good and evil actually have any real weight in our world today. So atheist, religious skeptics have a problem with this type of morality because it opens a door for God existing, right? Being able to exist because he is a very common um, candidate for this moral law giver. It's my belief that the God of the Bible is actually this moral law giver. And I'll say a little bit more of that in a second, but I'll explain why. So in order for evil to exist, right, good has to exist. And in order for good to exist, there has to be a moral law in which good and evil are consistent across all time, space, culture, location, all of those things. In order for moral law, moral law giver, right? So to even ask this question, to say how can a good God exist, how can this good moral law giver allow suffering and evil in this world? If there's no God, we have no question for tonight. Does that make sense? If there is not a moral law giver, because we have to have objective morality, there has to be real good and evil. If we don't have a God, our question disappears. So, I think you guys, most of you want to stay here for you know the rest of the night. And so, we will move along with um, God actually existing. Ravi Zacharias says this. He is part of the RZIM ministry. He is amazing. Converted Hindu into Christianity. Crazy life experience. Look him up. He's amazing. Um, this is what it says. Where there is freedom, there's possibility of love. I'm sorry. There must have been a missed quote that I did not include. Forgive me. I will just read it from here. Thank you, Sean. You're amazing. Sean's running slides for me. All right, here, here's what Ravi says. In short, the problem of evil is not solved by doing away with the existence of God in the face of evil. The problem of evil and suffering must be resolved while keeping God in the picture. I'll say that again. In short, the problem of evil is not solved by doing away with the existence of God in the face of evil. The problem of evil and suffering must be resolved while keeping God in the picture. So let's keep God in the picture as we move forward. And let's say objective morality, this moral standard uh, consistent across all time, location, and culture is the way that good and evil exist. So we can answer our question. So speaking of the Bible and God and why we're here and all of that stuff, in order for us to, um, I guess, form a... Uh, yeah, just to think upon what the Bible says about why we're here, right? A lot of what evil and suffering has to do with is why we're even here on this earth. So just real quick, story of creation. There's a God, all eternal, all good, all loving, all powerful, 
made this place that we call earth and he made man and he made adam and eve the first two real humans on this earth before that people didn't exist why did god create these people god created adam and eve and therefore desire for them to continue reproducing and having kids and you know allowing humanity to flourish bringing us to where we are now consistent throughout all of that time God's desire was to have relationship with man okay his desire for creating people was so that relationship could could be possible with love with him okay so and the reason I mentioned that is because you know a lot of people say okay well you know like and, and even thinking about the question, why doesn't God stop evil? Well, if God stopped evil, what would that entail? What would he have to do? If God were to create a world in which evil didn't exist, say before he even interferes with our decisions, he would have to create in a, wor- a world in which evil couldn't exist, right? Which means we can't choose anything wrong. Well, if we can't choose anything wrong, then can we choose anything right? If we have no choice at all, And if we can't choose right, if we can't choose a relationship, if we can't choose love, then this whole relationship thing that God wanted from the get-go isn't even possible. We're basically robots. And everything that you've experienced about pain, although it's terrible, also comes with it the territory of experiencing love. And when someone accepts you for who you are and when someone does good things for you and shows you that they love you by, by doing you know, good things for you or getting things for you or telling you how much you mean to them, that also isn't possible because it means nothing. Because from the beginning of time, you were programmed to say that. If someone does something for you and, I mean, robots can't love, basically. That's, that's what I'm getting at. And, and that's what we would be if God created a world in which evil couldn't exist and which predetermined actions existed. So first, we see that God had to create a world if he wanted to people to love him, he had to create one in, wi- in which choice was possible, okay? And in the same way, love between us is possible as well. Secondly, we have this, okay, well, you know, God can create, you know, a world where humans have choice, but why doesn't he just stop evil whenever it happens or when it whenever it's about to happen? So, he is all-powerful, Right? And that would seem to contradict, if he can't do that or he won't do that, he's either not all-powerful or he's not all-good. Because he either can't or he won't, which interferes with his all-powerfulness or his all-goodness. Well, let's say I take this stool right here and I say I'm strong enough to swing this and hit it on top of Lauren's head. Sounds cool, right? No, it sounds terrible. That would be terrible. What would happen? Her face, her head, her hair would definitely get messed up at least, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, it would really hurt her. There might be blood everywhere, and it would just be a terrible situation. And you guys would think that I was a terrible person, and I would be, right? I would be a terrible person for doing that. The same stool that could hit her over the head could also be used for me to sit on. Hey, what a good use for a stool. This is awesome. I'm having so much fun sitting on this stool because that's what this stool is made for, right? So there are physical components 
this material world that is true about this stool that if I were to swing it at Lauren's head and God was like, no, wait, I have to stop all the evil. He turns it into flowers. <laughs> he turns it into daisies, you know, and her face smells good and she looks so elegant and it just compliments everything about her face and her hair, right? And God successfully stopped that evil from happening, right? <laughs> Most of you guys, hopefully, I think that's pretty ridiculous. Why? Because although God is not interfering with my free will, he is making adjustments to the world that he's created that is outside of his character and, and what he wants for us as people. He wants us to learn and to choose love. He's created us to also be able to choose love, and, and that's, part of, that's part of our lives. And, and pain is possible because love is possible and because God, God has given us freedom to choose. So, although, yes, if my leg is broken and someone prays for it, in the name of Jesus, it can get healed. There are miracles. But that is within a very limited limited portion of our lives that God chooses to move, and that is to promote good as well. And so it is still consistent with his character and what he wants. And within the realms of a certain amount of... Um, intervention that he has um, allowed himself to have within our society. So we have freedom to choose. So God will not, you know, intervene usually um, unless he is asked to. Uh, We also have freedom to love, which means pain is possible, right? We also have free will, which means God will not make us do anything, okay? The type of of um, world that God has created lines up with his character. Um, Vince Vitale, Vitale, I don't know, trial night. This is what he says. What kind of world God would have made depends on what God values. According to Christianity, what God values above all is relationship. In order for relationship to be meaningful, it must be freely chosen. For relationship to be freely chosen, there must be the possibility of being rejected. Where wherever there's a possibility of being relationship being rejected, there's a possibility of pain and suffering. So he pretty much lays out in one paragraph what I took 15 minutes to say because he's amazing and that's one of the guys who does this for a living. But this is, uh, yeah, this is the world we live in, guys. How boring of a place would it be if love wasn't possible? How dull of a place would it be if people couldn't get married or... Um, People couldn't celebrate, or it was just all literally walking around pre-programmed. Um, Stephen Hawking? Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, he says his belief on good and evil is that people are just dancing to the tune of their DNA, right? So it's this very predetermined thing that evil and suffering don't, actually have any implication on our lives because as an atheist, he's an atheist, he has to believe that with no purpose, evil and suffering are just a natural play out of this DNA. That everything that I do is, you know, if I were to hit Lauren over the head with this stool, then it would just because that's what was in my DNA, right? So, but 
of course, the uh, Australian cricket team was in a match against England, and one of the players, Australian players, got out. This probably doesn't make too much sense to a lot of you guys. Robbie tells a story, but basically, you know, Richard Dawkins, he is a huge cricket fan because he's from England, and he was watching this game a few years ago, and basically what happens is the umpire calls the guy, you know, not out, and then Australia goes up winning the game, um, and he's very upset. He tweets about it, and then very sarcastically, people comment on his Twitter. They were just dancing to the DNA, <laughs> the tune of their DNA, and of course he probably gets really upset. But even Richard Dawkins, even he cannot live consistently with the claims that he makes about what is good and what's evil, right? No one can live under subjective morality and actually, like, live out completely their ideology about that. And so now we can go to that Ravi quote. This is going to turn. going to wrap it up real quick. Where there is freedom, there's possibility of love. Where there is love, there's possibility of pain. Where there is pain, there's possibility of a savior. Where there is a savior, there's a possibility of redemption. Where there is redemption, there's a possibility of restoration. Freedom makes love possible. Love makes pain possible. Pain makes the Savior possible, and the Savior brings redemption, and redemption brings restoration. So 6,000 plus, however many years ago, when Adam and Eve, those first two real humans who this real, all-loving, eternal God created, sinned and chose against God, which in the Bible, if you haven't read it, you should. It tells the whole story of humanity. When they disobeyed God, it brought suffering and evil into the world. And there's still people, many of us across the world, suffering from that. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Thanks, God, right? It was his fault. No, it wasn't his fault. Remember, he gave them a choice, and they chose wrong. You should go read about it. It's in the Bible. It's in Genesis. Um, and so what happened was basically from that point, God says, I'm going to take this and create a restoration, a redeeming story out of it. I'm going to create, I'm going to find a solution for this. 2,000 years ago, there was a guy named Jesus. Pretty big deal. Causes a lot of turmoil in our world today, uh, even just at his name. He was a Jewish man. He was born. He was God. And God sent him, the Father, sent his son, Jesus, to live among us to show people how to live a righteous life and to ultimately die on a cross under Roman and Jewish authority for our sins. And there's this mysterious exchange of his blood and our sin and our suffering, which I don't know if I'll ever understand, but somehow there was a payment made and Jesus made it. And he said, your issues I will solve. Your sin I will take the punishment for. This suffering I will take the blame. And he died for it. And then he rose three days later, and then he sent his disciples out. And then 2,000 years later, here we are, because they did their job. But the moral of the story is that, like Isaiah says, this is what Jesus went through. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Some of this might not, <laughs> not make too much sense. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. This is talking about Jesus. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. 
Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That hope, that joy that I mentioned at the beginning, this is where it lies. It lies in Jesus who took suffering for us, for me personally. And it says in his word in the Bible that if we put our faith in him and we live for him in love, loving him and loving the people around us, then that suffering that he talks about hurricanes, cancer, breakups, discouraging words, these all, fi- these all are gone. At the end of the Bible, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And that's his promise to his sons and his daughters. And so, if you haven't read the Bible, and a lot of this is new to you, then I encourage you to. Um, but this is our hope, and this is our answer, and it's Jesus. That's the answer to pain and suffering. So that's it. Q&A can now begin. Thank you, Chris. That was great. Um, Yeah, so we are going to start Q&A. And so we will have um, one person either, you can start a line here or over there, whichever side you're closest to. Um, we will limit it for what limit it to one question per person just for now. That way, multiple people can uh, have a time to ask questions. Um, and then, when you receive the microphone, please talk into it clearly so everyone can hear you. Um, do I go? All right. Mm, how about like little kids? So, say like there's a baby and they they like die for like what about that like how do you explain that away so do you do the baby just go to hell because he did not he or she did not know about god or you know yeah just yeah that makes sense uh that's a great question so uh this is a question that um basically he mentioned hell there's hell, there's heaven. If you're not familiar with Christianity, um, hell, it's believed that um, if you choose God and you live for him today and you put your faith in Jesus, then you will live with him in eternity um, because that's what Jesus has told us um, as Christians, and that's what he says in his word. Um, if you reject his love, if you reject his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, um, then you spend eternity away from him because you lived your whole life saying that you don't want to be with him. And so these two terms, heaven, eternity with Jesus, or hell, eternity away from Jesus. So to answer the question, it is, um, to my understanding, I read, I've been reading this book, Youth of Flame, by a guy named Winky Prattney. He's amazing. He's this old guy. His name's William, but he goes by Winky. So if you haven't heard that before, it's he's he always says he's not a purple teletubby. And he's not. He's awesome. He's from New Zealand. He's great. He was here last year, so 
a lot of you probably heard him. Um, but anyways, so Winky says uh, in his book, Youth of Flame, and this is actually a pretty common belief among uh, a lot of different Christians, is that there is what's called an age of accountability. And so if a child, so Zoe, my niece, Jordan's daughter, um, she has an under some kind of understanding of what's right and what's wrong um, because of what Jordan and Katie have told her, right? But if you were to explain what sin is, she, she might not, she probably won't understand that, right? You and, and even, I mean, I was, when I committed my life to the Lord, I was eight years old. I grew up in church and I prayed with my mom. And even at eight years old, I don't even know if I, you know, it was, it was just, well, I don't want to go to that you know, fire pit, you know, <laughs> I want to, I want to be in heaven, right, and that's what people taught me in church growing up, and so, but I, even at age eight, I don't know if I, like, knew what sin was, and so this age of accountability is basically what Christians believe as to the point at which someone is knowledgeable and understanding of that what they're doing is against God, and if they die before that, then it is believed that they basically, not that they were sinless, but because they were unaware of what their sin was, they, they didn't have um, the knowledge to ask for forgiveness from it. And so the belief is that God counts them innocent and they will be in heaven for eternity. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Um. So, um. So the the law was created like right after uh, Noah's Ark and all that stuff, or before it and all that stuff. Uh, and it took Jesus, you know, twelve hundred years ish to come out and uh and essentially do away with most of the law uh or at least the consequences of the law uh why did it take him that long uh or for god to send that down and uh what were the consequences of the people who lived between that which weren't it, it wasn't it was almost not possible to follow the law to the to the key what was the consequences of that so basically like if heaven and hell, hell are a real thing, then and Jesus hadn't come until you know two thousand years ago ish, then what did salvation look like for those people before Jesus? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. Um, what I've learned is that those people, um, this guy named uh, what's his name Eric Sawyer, he's a German guy. He uh, he lived like what three hundred years ago. He's super super way dead <laughs> 60 years ago 60 man, guys I am terrible with history but I just read these guys and I love what they say well anyways he mentions World War II why would I think that he lived 300 years ago well anyways it does seem lo that long ago when you buy old books they look like they're 300 years old um, but anyways basically uh, Eric Sawyer he's got this book that I just finished it's amazing it's called The Dawn of World Redemption Okay, and so uh, this book, he goes through, and the premise of the book is that everything before Jesus points to Jesus, and everything uh, 
since Jesus points back to Jesus, right? And then certain things that have to do with the end times and heaven and eternity, you know, like revelation stuff, those obviously point towards the future. But most things, even in like mainly in the Bible, point back towards Jesus. And so what uh, and so Eric Sawyer, he's he's crazy. He's super smart. He goes through all of these things in history um, and like in the Bible and different civilizations, even like Rome, Russia, present day U.S., like stuff like that. It's super crazy. But he's super smart and he studied the Bible really well. And what he says is that those people who lived before Jesus, because of how God set up everything before Jesus and because how things played out before Jesus came the Lord basically made a way for those people to receive salvation um, through what he had told them to do so basically um, similar to not the age of accountability but there's this thing called um, uh I'm blanking on the term, but basically it's um, the Lord wants us to live up to what we know, right? And so these guys had the law. He gave them the law. Jesus hadn't come yet, and so that's what they had. And so as long as they did those sacrifices and, the, and you know, they kept those laws, which seems terrible. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't want to keep a set of rules, right? That, I mean, it rules just usually... Um, they're unnecessary, make things not fun, right? And so um, what Eric Sawyer says is that um, that's what God had given those people back in that time. And even Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, I think it's, it might be chapter 12, but it says, um, <laughs> um, oh, Abraham, right? So Abraham, guy, Genesis chapter 12, um, when God makes his covenant with Abraham that his descendants will be the nation of Israel. Um, Hebrews says, and it says in Genesis as well, that um, when Abraham trusted God and he obeyed the law, and he obeyed him when he asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, that that was a credit to him as faith. And so even though they were like living out the law, they were still putting their faith in God by like the outworkings of their life through the law does that make sense okay yeah because i mean like even because even i think the book of james says faith without works is dead and so if even if our faith doesn't lead us to to love people and do good things you know things that the lord would want us to do then like people are gonna like question that faith as well does that does that make sense is it good okay I thought you were going to touch on this one in this last question. Um, so basically, this is like a combination of the two questions. Um, so what about the people who are alive today who are in these remote areas who have not heard the gospel, have not had the opportunity, have not been presented with it? Do they suffer because they don't know or how do they like how are they treated? Um Sorry, uh, actually, do you mean do they suffer currently in their life or will they After suffer? their life. Will they? Okay. So will they suffer because so they didn't people hear? people who haven't heard about Jesus yeah. go to hell because they didn't have a chance to Yeah, because they weren't told. 
Right. Okay. So this is one of the biggest questions in Christianity. Most Christians don't have a consensus on this. Uh, I did not spe specifically study uh, this question or the answer to this question, um, but there is um, one thing that I want to mention that uh, both Ravi Zacharias and uh, Vince Vitale, uh, they talk about. So our situation is that these people who we know like are are there and you know most likely there are some people who have never heard about Jesus and most likely there are millions of people who have never heard about Jesus and so it's like uh, so I play soccer I'll use an example and then tell you guys what these guys say um, I play soccer right and I play like uh, every couple of days out on the rec fields with a ton of guys and it's it's awesome I love it runs he's out there sometimes he tears it up um, but uh there's this common uh, tendency for, say you have like, you know, 60-yard field, and if I kick th the ball very close to the outline, then the person on the other team, 60 yards on the other side of the field, will say, hey, that ball is out. And I'm like, there's no way you can tell from 60 yards away if the ball was out by this much, right? So, you know, you guys who watch football or basketball, if you played a sport, anything, it's, it's like basketball, like it's the same thing. Like you cannot make the call from way over there. We are 60 yards away from those guys, right? And so part of this issue is the fact that I don't think we're close enough proximity or <laughs> trained enough, you know, theologically to, to make that call. Okay, and so I'm, I don't want to like shy away from the question and say, hey, I don't have an answer and we'll just find out one day, but that's kind of where I'm at. Like I've, I've, at this point in my life, have said, okay, I trust that God is good and I trust that he's loving and I trust that he will give everyone a fair chance at knowing who he is. Okay, and so I believe that we're metaphorically 60 yards away um, to make that call. Uh, the way that uh, Ravi and Vince put it, uh, basically, uh, Vince Vitale, he tells this uh, story about how um, when he was born, he had a C-section. Super gross, I'm sure. Um, giving birth obviously isn't that exciting in terms of how um, clean it is in general. I was actually going to find a picture of a C-section, thought that'd be way too far. I was in Starbucks and I actually looked it up and that was a bad call. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm not going to show you a picture. But he got a C-section when he was born, right? And so he, ha he used this example to a similar question about, say there's aliens, right, uh, on some other planet, you know, billions of miles away, and they are given the sole once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have a picture into our world, right? And say that opportunity was Vince's C-section birth. <laughs> Crazy, right? I mean, like, you're, you're an alien, and you're like, what is going on, right? If all you see is a doctor cutting open a stomach and a baby crying full of blood, and the doctor pulls them away, and the mom's reaching for her while her stomach is still cut open, you would probably conclude that those doctors are very evil people, and this is a very 
terrible situation, right? But you had only 20 seconds into that world, right? So you had a very limited perspective. You have very limited knowledge of the situation. These aliens <laughs> don't know that they were actually saving the baby's life and probably the mom's as well, right? And it was for the best that they did that, right? And so these aliens have a very limited perspective. And so if they were to conclude, oh, they're evil, or this is the reality of the situation and make a claim about that, then that would like be way too limited knowledge. And so when thinking about this question of, okay, can, you know, are, th are these people going to go to heaven or are they going to go to hell? Like I, I mean, I don't, with what I've read from the Bible and then each specific situation, I don't, I don't want to claim that I have enough knowledge about that to be able to say one way or the other. Make sense? Hey, Taylor. Hey. So I just wanted to ask what you thought about Romans one twenty on what it says about that. Um, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Oh, I moved it. Oh, yeah, to drink some tea, some honey. Um, great question. So that actually verse was in mind when Alec asked that question. Uh, so basically what – and I, I don't – Taylor, I don't have a full answer for that question either, but I will tell you what I, I do believe is true. Um, like I said, I believe that God created mankind to have a relationship with him. And in order for that relationship to exist, man has to be able to know God. And so in order for man to be able to know God, God has to reveal himself to man. He's infinite. We're finite. And so there's certain things that, you know, we'll learn for eternity about Jesus because he's infinite, right? And so what that verse says to me is that God is has made many, 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 many countless efforts to reveal himself to humanity. So whether that means you grew up in a church, like I did, and maybe you, or you live in the deepest, darkest jungle in wherever, the bottom of the ocean, or, you know, wherever people live that don't know about God, right? I'm sure lots of places, right? Um, then I know that because God desires a relationship with all men, that he has revealed himself continuously to people. So, the extent of um, how, like I mentioned with Brandon's question, how, how responsible God holds each individual to the knowledge that they've been given about himself, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if it's like, oh, they saw the sunset 40 million times, you know, and, and, and for that reason, like, and if they haven't ex accepted me, then then they lost their chance. Or, you know, like di different things like that, you know, because a lot of people, I mean, there's there's people who still today worship the sun and the moon and the stars. And so there's like almost like this understanding that there is something divine out there, you know. Um, and so Ecclesiastes says that God has written eternity on the hearts of men. And it, it is like calling forth towards like 
towards eternity, basically. And so um, I believe that God has put eternal, the ability to recognize eternity in our hearts. And I also believe that he has made many, many efforts to reveal himself to people through various methods, including nature and things like that, to where men and women and whoever else, children, older people, are at some point without excuse. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, I, and I, I'm not, like I said with Alec, I'm qualified to, s to speak for God on, you know, on that one. Thanks for your question. It's good. Okay. So, uh, okay. So, if everyone has like their own time to like go, why doesn't God allow everyone to go painless? Like, some people might die of a car crash, but some people might die of cancer, which could be very painful. And so, like, why doesn't He allow everyone to go when it's their time painless? Because He plans each and one of every one of our times. Um. Okay, you actu actually said at the end <laughs> what, I, what I was wondering. Um, so, um, did you grow up in church? Yes. Okay, what kind of church was it? Non-denominational. Okay, cool, that's awesome. Um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and now I'm good at AG. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, so basically, um, there are verses like, um, Jeremiah 29, uh, 11. I, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future, right? And so um, there are other many verses that have to do with God um, in English terminology say that he has, in a sense, predetermined certain things in our lives, Right? There are other verses that say that we have the ability to choose things. And, you know, even when he calls us to himself, that's a choice that we can either act on or reject, right? And so there's this mysterious balance between certain things being preordained and certain things being up for grabs, basically. What, you know, I don't know. I don't really think that God wanted me to necessarily drink tea tonight, you know? So did he predetermine that? Probably not. You know, that was, that was my choice. Um, and so with this idea of, okay, what, is, what does God plan for us? Um, from the get-go, I don't think it was his desire that man died at all. Um, because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, um, he had told them before they did um, that if you eat this fruit, then you will surely die, right? So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if they didn't eat the fruit, what would have happened? They might not have died, and I don't think they would have, and I think heaven in eternity with Jesus would have just been on earth if no one had ever sinned and brought death into this world, okay? So it's my, my first to say, I guess, to your question is, I don't think it was God's intention that man died ever, um, but because of sin, death came in, you know, Romans says that, the wages of sin is death, and God said that in the garden, and so, it's so my first part to your answer, the second part is, I'm mentioning, like, Jeremiah 29, 11, um, that verse, I know the plans I have for you is more like dreams, 
So I I know what I want you to look like. I know what who I how like who I want you to look like. I want you to look like Jesus. It's basically like the end result of that verse is I know the dreams that I have for you. Dreams that you would prosper. Like it's it's like like Jordan has specific like you know probably parameters that he wants Zoe and, and Naomi Grace to to be when they grow up, you know, but it's not like hey, she has to play soccer. She has to, you know, make straight A's until, you know, she graduates from college. You know, like there's there's not like plans that Zoe and Grace are bound by. Does that make sense? So he has dreams for their lives. Um, and so in the same way, the Lord has dreams for our lives. So I don't I don't know if God um, plans death, honestly. Um, that is another um big theological topic um, about like how much God is involved in our everyday choices and ultimately our death. Um, regarding those two specific examples, um, I do believe that uh, <coughs> things like cancer, things like, uh, you know, just uh, genetic disorders or um, medical conditions like that, I do believe that they um, were part of the result of sin, which if death is never what I believe what God intended, then things that lead up to death, disease, things that don't promote life, also weren't in his original intent. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask my question and then sit down because I don't want to stand here all awkward the whole time. Um, so uh, my dad has, like, stage 4 cancer, and he supposedly, like, knows the Lord, but he's not praying for himself at all. And, um, like, he's Catholic, and that whole side of the family is Catholic. But, like, I asked him if he's praying, and he said no, and that whole side of the family isn't praying for him. So... I don't, like, know what his relationship with God looks like, so how do I make sure that he is, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, good? Um, and, like, because, like, there's all this other crazy stuff that's happening. So, like, I know he does not have peace. But, like, you know, God forbid if he goes, like, I don't, I want to make sure, like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wondering, like, where he's going to be, like, when I get there. So do you have any advice on how to, like, proactively get him to, like, you know... <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's like, um, yeah, first I'd say pray like crazy. I'm sure you already are and you love him a lot. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's evident, um, just in your question. I mean, you love people, so there's you know, no doubt that you love, you know, love him and, and uh, Are you, uh, I guess, are you, like, have you asked him, are you afraid? Like, have you, what? Well, he's less, okay, this is to get, he's not so much worried about himself because his girlfriend is kind of psycho, and, like, when those people go to not be with the kids that they have together, which aren't actually even his, but he feels like he's a bad guy to us, and I'm trying to be a good guy to them, mm -hmm. but, like, he has no right to fight for custody for them, so he's trying to, like, make sure that, like, if he dies, 
Yeah. Um, well, I'd say so. Um, there are a lot of people uh, who go to churches um, who only God and that person, uh, like, basically God is aware of of who's actually put their faith in Him and who hasn't, right? Um, and it's, I don't want to, I don't want that to sound like it's, it's confusing to know whether or not you're saved because like the Bible makes it very clear that like if you confess with the, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, um, that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. And so I, I believe like that, that is, that, that it is true. And if you've done that, then like, yeah, then, then that's. Like his promise remains true, like under those conditions, and so. Um, but I also think that a, a lot of people who um, want things to be a, l- a little bit easier <laughs> um, have maybe made um, conditions for salvation. Quote: uh, oh, "You'll be all right," or "Just do as much good as you can," or you know stuff like that, and so it. Yeah, that. I think Satan works in a lot of ways, and I think one of the ways that he's worked is confusing people in the church. And so I think a lot of times people have doubts as to whether or not they're saved, doubts as to whether or not other people are saved. And so with that, I would, I mean, I would just, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much you get to see him or talk to him, but um, I mean, just like you would do with your friends here, you know, like the rest of your family, like just push them towards Jesus, and this, I don't know, there's no way, like, (laughs) we can't, like, peer into people's souls and say, oh, there's a green light, you know, like, he's good to go, you know, like, (laughs) come back out, that's not how it works, unfortunately, Um, but, yeah, is that, make sense, yeah, so I don't have a one, two, three quick fix for making sure your dad's saved. Uh, yeah, push him to community. Any more great questions? Sort of have a question. Yeah, do it. Okay, so this is sort of on topic of suffering and sort of not. I have a friend that's agnostic and I want to be able to like kind of find out how like why he believes that and like just try to lead him towards Christ. How would you suggest me broach that topic to him? Because I don't know if it's like something happened in his past because I know like with atheists and stuff, it's usually something happened before that made them believe that. So what would be the best way to approach him and like in a gentle way? And to like actually ask him and find out without making him feel like I'm forcing faith on him. Uh, usually, hitting people over the head with the Bible is like fail safe. Um, or if that doesn't work, um, and he's still your friend, uh, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Obviously. Um, so uh, 
I guess I had a guy in small group uh, a few years ago. His name was Akito. He's awesome. He's from Japan. He's now in Japan, and he was here for a semester. And he, uh, Trevor wants to call you, Sean. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> yeah, like when he got here, I was like, okay, this kid's from Japan. I don't know what they believe over there. So I'm just going to ask him, like, hey, man, what do you believe about uh, like how we got here, like do you ever think about like if there's anything after our lives or you know stuff like that? Do you ever like wonder if God exists? And I just kind of asked him about all that stuff, and I don't know if you've had those conversations with your friend yet, but not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you're afraid of being forceful, um, <laughs> basically, like, I don't know, you, you read the Gospels and you read Jesus' life, and he made a lot of people <laughs> upset, uh, and he, he, like, he wasn't afraid to, like, he wasn't, like, trying to make people upset, you know, he was just standing up for truth, and he was concerned so much about their, their eternity and their relationship with the Lord <coughs> and whether or not they'd put their faith in him. That he w he was willing to like get made fun of or spit at or you know rebuked by the top religious officials in his time you know and ultimately he went to the cross for for what he said and who he made angry and so there's this uh, tendency to care for people's feelings over their futures and um, I think it's our job to care for people's future over their f their feelings and even our feelings. Um, and so, uh, yeah, maybe just start with praying for boldness to be, like, willing to be re rejected or possibly lose a friend. And, and then if you are able to, like, ask those questions, I think that, yeah. Cool. Good question. Okay. I have a question. What would you say to the person that... Um, like, they understand why suffering's here, that, like, there's evil in the world and stuff, but that is, like, okay, well, if I'm a Christian and I'm, like, serving the Lord with my whole heart, like, does he just allow these things to happen to me? Is there a purpose behind it? Like, what would you what would you say to, like, those kind of questions? Yeah, great question. Uh, I'm sure most people in here are thinking the same thing um, or have thought that before. I've thought that... Um, Basically, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews, and it's actually quoting Proverbs, that um, the Lord disciplines those he loves, like a father disciplines his son. And then Hebrews goes on to say, no discipline is um, enjoyable at the time, but uh, you reap a reward of character, basically. Um, and, and so uh, it is not my belief that God purposefully inflicts pain on people. Um, but it is my belief that, as Romans says, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so, yeah, God is just concerned with us looking like Jesus. That's his primary concern as he's fighting for us to have a relationship with him. And so, as, you know... 
if someone, you know, completely rejects me as a friend for three years and when I'm fighting for a relationship with them or, w- you know, whatever the case, you know, like, and, and there is, like, real hurt and suffering there, or, you know, if, like, I, you know, there's one of my friends over in India, uh, he has been, like, in and out of the hospital, oh, you know, uh, Ethan, he's been in the hospital, like, in and out for the past, since we've been there. Um, yeah, and uh, he's like, <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, oh, God, why am I here? You know, wh- what am I doing? You brought me all the way to India just to, you know, have stomach cancer, you know, whatever he has. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's not fun for him, but is the Lord using that to, like, help him look more like Jesus? I think so. If if Ethan is, like, in it for, like, Lord, I want to look like you, and, and he allows the Lord to speak to him through that situation, um, then I think, I think that will be the outcome. I uh, so I've had two kidney stones, and they are not fun at all. I got one in 2010 when I was a sh- in college, and <laughs> I uh, woke up one Monday morning like I had a test that day, and I woke up at like 6 a.m. and I was like had this terrible pain in my side. I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I actually had some, uh, I thought I had some digestive issues, and so I'll, I'll say that. But I tried to go to the restroom a few times, didn't work, and ended up being a, a kidney stone, right? Well, um, <laughs> that, so my mom and my dad were actually um, in, uh, in town. They came up, uh, college was like an hour from where I lived. And so they came up, and then I was like, hey, I think I have something really bad. I need to go to the hospital. Went to the hospital. was in the ER. I had to stay the night in the hospital. And then basically they said, hey, come back in two days, and we're, like, going to do this procedure for you. And so my parents stayed in town, and the procedure was at 10 o'clock, like a 45-minute drive. So it was like I woke up at 7. You know, my dad was coming over around, like, an hour later. And it like it came back like the pain because it went away and it came back because I couldn't take any more pain meds because I hadn't eaten because I had to fast because I have a procedure, and I was sitting there I was like I feel so bad like this like it it really sucked it was it was so terrible like there's no words to explain <laughs> what kind of pain I was in this have you had one that's uh, terrible um, <laughs> life advice don't have a kidney stone but anyways so I'm sitting there like eating my oatmeal or whatever it is and I was like waiting for my dad and I was like hey dad you can come now I called him like you don't need to wait just let's go to the hospital and so as I'm waiting I'm like man I don't want like what it it hurt physically but also there was like kind of like an emotional pain that came because I knew that when my dad showed up he would like he would he would feel emotional pain for me because he was having to like watch his son suffer and like he couldn't do anything about it. He could just like take me to the people who could. And it was cool because like right when I had that thought like man my dad can't do anything. He just has to watch me suffer. I was like immediately thought of the cross. You know and it was like that's the same situation the, like Jesus was in. Like the father could have done something. He even said if I called him my father he could send you know over 12 legions of angels which is a ton you know but like the father just he had quote to watch jesus just suffer uh, in order for like us to be here basically and be with him in eternity and so i just i mean i don't know a cool story about how extreme suffering led to like extreme you know cool revelation and um yeah so but anyways that's i guess 
my advice. Oh, the other examples, a teacher, a good coach, a parent. It's like <laughs> a good coach is one that like makes you run those suicides. He's a, he's you know he's the one that like <laughs> makes you you know just continue to go past where you want to go. A good teacher makes tests hard. They make they make homework actually do you know and they actually grade it you know and they're the people who you know like produce the best best athletes and the best students and the best contributors to society you know our parents do the same thing if your parents not disciplining you then like you question do they even like their children and so it's like great honor to um, view suffering that we go through as a way that God can use to discipline us so that we look more like Jesus. Does that make sense? We have time for one more question. So, no one has something. I actually have one more thing that, uh, like Heather said, one of the things that we wanted to do with this is uh, give you guys who are Christians and who, you know, have people asking you these questions a lot, um, stuff to kind of like go to. Uh, basically, uh, Sean, can you go to the one, uh, the what? Oh no no not that not yet. There's there's one other thing. Go to the go to the gods of the Canaanites. All right. So basically, uh, okay, no, I'm sorry. I'll set it up first. So in the Old Testament, right, you have you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob. God promises Abraham and his sons that they will have a certain portion of land flowing with milk and honey, that they will be abundant. They spend 400 years the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And then uh, when they're Moses is leading them out of the uh, out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, they start conquering all these Canaanite lands, people of the Canaanites. And so a big question I've gotten a lot of you might have gotten before a lot of you might have asked before is, is God a murderer? He told his people to kill all of these other nations so that they can have this land. Right. Where's. You know, where's the goodness of God in that? So I want to pose the question to you. Um, and this, you know, would be something you could possibly do with someone who asks this question if you get it. Um, is just ask him what they would do in this situation. If you didn't know, uh, there were many gods that the Canaanites worshipped. One called Asherah, Molech. Um, there are other was called uh, Baal, uh, Beelzebub, Chemosh, I think Chemosh. But basically, um, this uh, information is um, on the last slide, which is uh, resources, but it's uh, called uh, gotquestions.org. And all of those that we just uh, showed are different, uh, different types, different gods and different types of worship that people did. And so pretty much the people who the Israelites were taking land from were using worship with uh, basically profit, prostitution, 
um, child sacrifice. There was one, I think it was Molech, who uh, you were required in order to worship this God in, or in order to, I mentioned, get some extra corn or be favorable to that God for some for your crops or your cattle. Uh, you had to lay your firstborn child on simmering hot hands of the idol as they burned alive in front of you. And it's even said that like if they showed any emotion, the parents, then they'd have to do it all over again. Um, yeah, so child sacrifice, sexual stuff, it's, it was crazy. And so these guys basically, um, the question of why would, excuse me, why would God, um, why doesn't God stop all the evil and suffering in the world? Well, this was a time when he did <laughs> stop a lot of it. What would you say to those people who were doing those types of worship if you had the chance? Um, God had the chance, and he did something about it, and now people are blaming him as being a murderer. And so um, a really good friend says that if you have cancer in your hand in order to save your body, if there's no other way to cure it, you cut off the hand to save the body because you love the body. And because God loved the rest of the world, he was willing to cut off the hand <coughs> that had cancer in order to save the rest of the body before it spread. So just to equip you guys with a little bit, um, if you get that question. And GodQuestions.org is great. Uh, it has all that stuff and, and more. So that's it. Yes, give him a round of applause. That was great. Thank you, Christopher, for all of that. Thank you for answering our questions. Um, that wraps up our open house. We will have another one next month. So if, um, we will let you guys know at Chi Alpha when that will be. So thank you for coming. <laughs>